Welcome everybody to this episode of the ISI Life. Today, sit down with Tom Petersburg, who has such an amazing background and uh, skill sets and experiences that are super wide ranging from college ministry to pro sports here in Cleveland with the Browns, Indians, Cavs, and some hockey and beyond. Just some amazing examples, amazing stories. And today we sit down and we talk about his latest book that he's writing called Pursuers and how as men, sometimes we sit in neutral and passive and how to get in pursuit, how we can be in pursuit of the important things in our life. It's a great conversation. Hope you all enjoy and stay sharp, everybody. Well, Tom, I am excited and uh, thankful that you're here today. Your, uh, your talk at ISI was very moving and I'm excited to kind of capture the essence of it here today. So um, for those of us that don't know you or haven't got a chance to really spend time with you, maybe give us a little walk on your you know, history from you know, where you came from, where your upbringing was, and kind of up to uh, current state. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Iowa. Um, grew up on a farm there, a small farm in very north central Iowa. Uh, graduated from Iowa State University. I was an Aggie. <laughs> right. Thought I'd be going into agriculture, but instead God called me into the ministry. I was very involved as a college student with Campus Crusade, and uh, th- much of my early Christian growth took place through those ministries. Mm. Um, by the time I graduated, I sensed God was calling me to be involved in ministry, so I joined the staff with Campus Crusade. I was assigned to a campus in Missouri, University of Missouri, mm. in Columbia. I spent two years there, and in that period of time, I uh, met my future wife, and we oh. got married uh, in 73. And then were sent to Vanderbilt University to lead the ministry there. Wow. So we worked at Vanderbilt for six years. Uh, my wife had some health issues. We were uh, looking for a change in ministry, thought we'd even take a leave of absence for a bit. Mm. And Athletes in Action, which is part of Crusade, mm-hmm. asked us to consider working in their pro ministry with pro sports. Okay. Yeah. So we moved to Cleveland in 1979 and began to work with the Browns and in time picked up the Indians and the Cavs. Mm. And then um, later on, a little bit with hockey. But for the last, for the next 30 years, 32 years, mostly work with pro sports in Cleveland, discipling players, working with their chapels, helping players uh, grow, work with their speaking engagements. Yeah, behind the scenes, inside the behind ropes. the scenes, kind of quiet. Inside the ropes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty neat. And you were there from '79. 79. My last year with the Browns was uh, 2011. 2011. Wow. I, well, we, I went on staff at Providence Church in Avon mm-hmm. for about two years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a great fit for what uh, uh, we thought that we'd be doing there. It became more administrative. I'm more of a ministry builder. Mm. So we, uh, we left that after two years, thought maybe it was time to retire. Mm. And in the midst of it, I began to have other former players, uh, businessmen I'd worked with, other Christian leaders coming to me saying, Hey, help me on this issue of discipleship or expanding ministry influence. And so uh, I decided, well, it's time to begin a new ministry. So we started a ministry called Catapult Ministries. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's currently what I'm working on. That's awesome. And that's where I really got to meet you was uh, one of the events was the Influencers Forum. at um, I think this one was at Lock Keepers down there. Yeah. And I remember Joe and I came and we heard the speaker and we were just in this room of um, amazing individuals. We were, we were super inspired that day. And I remember thinking, 
how did we get invited? <laughs> how did we get invited to this group? But it was, uh, it was really inspired to be in a room of people uh, considering or, you know, leading their own ministries. And it gave us a bunch of encouragement. And I know you've been doing that event for five, five years now, five years. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That once a year, once a year thing. So yeah, every April, that is awesome. And, um, when I, I was very thankful that you, you were able to come and, and speak at the last ISI event. And I thought your, your talk was, was spot on with the guys and, um, the topic of the talk being the great escape and really the, the central theme being how do we pursue, uh, versus being passive. So I'm excited to, to talk about that. And, um, as a little bit of background, how did you, when we were talking about all the different things, how did you come up with this talk and this book that you're working on? What was the, the backdrop to why you wanted to, you know, study or write on this, you know, this specific topic? Well, there were a couple of things. One is having worked the majority of my ministry career with men, uh, the issue of passivity became a topic that um, affected men's growth. It affected the impact they were going to have in their own lives or in their ministry. Mm-hmm. It affected their marriages, and it was just a, over the years a constant recurrence of that theme. Um, and having dealt with that issue uh, often, not only in my own life but other other men, it it was kind of a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I began to think through it, it was about five years ago, uh, six years ago. I was going through some major uh, eye surgeries where I had torn retinas, oh, wow. and um, uh, which kept me up most of the night. And so. Um, <laughs> middle of the night to begin my brain started working and <laughs> I began to craft some uh, directions this could take and that's actually where kind of the outline for it all came and so at about two in the morning I had kind of outlined where this thing would go and wow. I taught it for a while and then um, used parts of it as um, speaking engagements and things like that and then about a year or two years ago I began to say no I need to put this in writing hmm. and begin to turn it into a workbook for a bible study for men mm-hmm and it's amazing how things like that happen, right? When you least expect it. So the uh, the chapter that that we focused on was the Great Escape, which is just one chapter in the larger framework of the book, right? Yeah. Okay. So, and you gave a little bit of a backdrop stud, from the study of Isaac. Um, so maybe walk us through a little bit of why you started there, and then lead into uh, we can lead into the topic of you know pursuing versus passivity. Well, I don't know why I picked Isaiah, or not Isaiah, Isaac. I'm not sure why I picked Isaac, uh, Genesis 26, but I probably one day I was spending some devotions in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And as I walk through the life of Isaac, there it's a chapter in, in Genesis 26 of two parts. And rarely do you find people dealing with just uh, both parts. They'll look or camp on one part. Mm-hmm. The first part is about the, the um, situation where he fears for his life, He's uh, in the middle of a, a famine, and God has sent him to a place called Gerar in southern Palestine. The Philistines dominate the area, and he's afraid for his life that somebody might be attracted to his beautiful wife, and they would kill him and take his wife. Mm-hmm. And so he said, oh, this is my sister. Um, well, it became uh, somebody caught them with a little affectionate episode one day and said, wait a minute, she's not your sister. And, um, and he confessed, no, she's not. And, and of course, he got in trouble with the king that, boy, you could have gotten us in big trouble. <laughs> and so, but people will look at that episode and, say, and they can't quite explain that of, yeah, why didn't he protect his wife? I mean, it said that he did this for fear of his own life. 
But the second half of the chapter talks about how he settled down into this region where God had asked him to stay. And um, his herds of, uh, of, of uh, livestock grew and he needed wells, he needed water. His father had lived in that region uh, a long time before. And so he found the wells that actually had been filled in by his father's enemies mm -hmm. with soil. And so he had his servants redig the wells. And each time he redug a well and, and struck water, mm. the local herdsmen would come along and say, hey, that's ours. Mm. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. And rather than object or defend his land, uh, he moved down the road. And this happened time after time. And then finally, the king uh, came to him and said, you know, hey, we've, we've done you no harm. Let's, let's write a treaty. And he put him up for the night and had a feast and wrote a treaty with them. And um, as soon as he left, here comes his servants in the back door. They'd struck water again. Mm. And so he's got this life of, of moving down the road. He would never defend his, his position where God had given him. Mm. But when you, put, when you get the full picture, a lot of people will look at that second half and say, wow, he, was, he just kept turning the cheek there. If they offended him, he said, well, okay, you can have it. Mm. But when you put the two together, you see his character. First of all, he wouldn't defend his wife, and then he wouldn't defend his, his, uh, his own livestock and his own land that God gave him. And it begins to create a pattern that you see in his life that he was a fearful, passive man. Hmm. He chose, instead of, of, um, of being responsible and accountable and caring and protecting for his wife, he was in retreat. Hmm. And, and it began, as I found that as I've covered that chapter with men's groups or in a small Bible study, and done a, a Q&A with a group of men, all of a sudden the light comes on and they go, oh, uh-oh, that's, that's a pattern in my life. Mm. There are things in my family and my wife and my kids that need my attention. I, I don't want to step up. I may make the wrong decision. It's better to retreat. And I call it the great escape. Yeah. It, it's to step back. It's to hide. It's um, basically uh, this tendency to, to not be responsible for it. Yeah, and I, uh, the patterns is what you know. What I pick up on when when you say all that is there's a consistent pattern that keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. And um, how do we know when it's when it's the right time for us to you know put our foot down and defend that position, or when the right time is to turn the cheek? Do you have any? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's when it becomes a pattern, and I think the important thing is to ask myself the question: What am I trying to avoid? Hmm. In other words, if I'm turning the cheek, I'm actually genuinely saying, you know what, I think, I think this is an opportunity of ministry for, with this person. Hmm. And, and, and it's certainly that's what Jesus taught, that I don't um, return evil for evil. Mm -hmm. But in a sense where God has given me instructions and has called me to certain things, for me to neglect those things, that's passivity. Hmm. That's, it, it becomes passive when I, when I do it for self-protection for self-defense, out of fear, mm. uh, out of being exposed that I might look inadequate. Mm -hmm. And so it be, when it becomes a pattern, it becomes obvious if I can ask that question, what am I trying to avoid? Mm. Um, That's a powerful question. Sometimes, you know, what's painful sometimes is your wife will see it and she'll say, why, why won't you engage on this? And when you feel like your wife is chasing you for answers or a decision you're probably being passive. Those are, those are the red flags. Those yeah. are the red flags. Those are the, <laughs> those are the maybe, signals to say, all right. Just, uh, maybe fireworks, too. It may not be just a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> all right. might be the whole, whole enchilada. All right. 
Um, so on the flip, on the flip side of that is, you know, where you focused is on, you know, where we want to be is how to be pursuers, how to be in pursuit of things. So how can we get in pursuit? If we, if we don't, if we don't want to be passive, if we've, we've seen those red flags and we realize there's a pattern and we know maybe, Hey, I am avoiding this and it's, you know, you're motivated and you feel like, all right, I want to, I want to get after this and I want to be more engaged or more in pursuit of something. How do we, how do we do that? Well, I think one of the first things is if, if I can find and see and admit where I'm being passive, uh, it's a big step to be able to say uh, or ask myself then, so why am I? If I can identify what I'm trying to avoid mm. and why I am, what am I afraid of? Mm. Uh, even many men in the past have been really embarrassed in a situation or shamed or they're following dad's pattern. I, I remember uh, working with an athlete at one time where uh, their marriage was on the rocks, and I said, "Why won't you?" F-? And he he had gone passive. I said, "Why won't you fight for your marriage?" And finally, he said, "Well, my mom and dad had a really rocky marriage, and uh, my dad was trying hard to resolve it. And my mom just shot him, hmm. and so he was saying, "Whoa, hmm. you don't even go there anymore." And and so that was an episode, perhaps, that kicked him into this mode of just avoiding and and um, not really addressing the issues. I think for other guys, it's um, to kick in the pursuit is beginning to say, okay, I understand over here at work, I can lead. I, I, maybe you have steps that I follow. I know it has to be done each day. I may work with a thousand employees, mm-hmm. but what happens to me when I walk into the home with four kids mm-hmm. and uh, my wife knows what's been going on all day with the kids and I don't, and it's a good excuse to say, well, you handle that. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't become partners with her in that. And so <clears throat> I think it's beginning to recognize uh, the places where either God or my spouse or my friends are asking me to step up. You know, they want an answer from me. They want my help. And instead, I avoid it if it becomes a little bit um, threatening to me. Hmm. Um, so I think recognizing what it is, I think uh, recognizing that's not the kind of man I want to be. Mm-hmm that that doesn't help my family flourish. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help my friendships real well. And then I think it's beginning to make steps to say, if I can understand why I'm avoiding things or why I'm moving in that direction, it helps me begin to say, okay, this is what I can do about it. Mm. I can make that decision. Mm-hmm. I can apply this. I can take steps in this thing that needs to be done, but I've just been avoiding it because I'm going to get nailed whichever decision I make. Yeah, or this history of something in your past that you saw that you don't want to repeat in your, you know, in your life. Yeah. 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 So the first step, first step is, you know, why am I avoiding it? Why, you know, why am I afraid of this thing? Um, do you, is this, uh, something that you think, you know, from what you've seen guys, you've made the transition well from being passive to being in pursuit of something that they do by themselves. Do they do with their spouse? Do they do with friends? Um, I'm, is guys maybe wrestling with this? Probably a little of all of it. Yeah, <clears throat> I think it depends on the guy. Okay. Um, I think that you have some marriages where the wife likes to be in charge and in control mm-hmm. and make all the decisions, and she's she may be quite happy. He's reserved and 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 passive. He certainly um, uh, has no right to be rough or authoritarian or um, making all the decisions. It's a partnership. Mm-hmm. But I think in those cases, it's difficult for the wife to maybe, if she's had years of being used to this, um, it makes it a little more difficult. 
But I think where it, where it helps a lot is um, where he's had a dialogue with some other men about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I remember being in a situation once where uh, when the Browns left town, uh, they moved to Baltimore. And uh, I was in a accountability group with some guys, and there was a real hard-nosed guy in there as a neat pastor, a good friend, didn't, didn't pull any shots. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, so what are you going to do now that you lost you know, half your ministry? You're still working with the Indians and your calves, but mm-hmm. what are you going to do without the Browns here? And I said... <laughs> And I was kind of moping around. It was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he didn't take that. And he just said, hey, he said, we're going to war and you're sitting on your hands. Mm. What are you doing? He called you out. Huh? He called me out. Well, I got to tell you, I, I've never forgotten that. Right. And, yeah. and I've thought of that often when I've, when I've realized, wait a minute, I'm putting this issue off. I'm avoiding this issue. Mm. I... Um, um, I need to be attracted to the sense that part of being a man is, is being willing to stand without approval. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think as men begin to taste that and say, no, this is what God wired me for. Mm. He, he wired me to lead. He wired me to engage, mm-hmm. to be intentional, to resolve issues, to step into things that I normally would avoid. Mm-hmm. Mm. You don't have all the answers. You'll figure it out as you go. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I take that leap. That's, Awesome when you have guys like that in your life who can, you know, call you out and, yeah. and say, hey, man, <laughs> we, we got something going on here and you're just sitting on your hands. That is that is super awesome to have guys like that. That's, that's one of the reasons that we structured um, the retreats the way we do is that they can actually build some meaningful relationships to get to know each other so that they're at that level where they can help each other get through those kind of sticky spots where we're kind of like stuck or sitting idle uh, and help them get kind of get into gear a little bit. Um, so in the book, um, and in, in your talk, you talked about pursuing the different M's, um, mm-hmm. and we have five M's, I believe here, we got them all right. Um, why, you know, why did you choose these, these particular five? Maybe talk through what those five are, you know, why you chose those five, um, and a little bit of a background of what it means to pursue each of these, each okay. of these five. Well, I think, I think the issue with um, each of these five areas that I, that I did lay out is that the scriptures call us to pursue in those areas. Mm. That was, for me, the tip-off in the first place. There's certainly other areas. I'm, if I'm in a discussion with some men about whether I'm passive or a pursuer or an initiator, uh, someone who's being intentional about relationships, leading, engaging, um, in the long run, I'd like to see it be the fabric of my life, mm. that, that I'm not a passive man. Um, I, I would enjoy relationships that are not with passive men, that rather they, they engage and, and so on. So I think in general, there's far more than these five areas. But I find as I go to the scriptures, these five areas jump out. Continually come up. Yeah. They, they do. And a different reason for each of them. For instance, uh, the first one that I use in the workbook is uh, we're to pursue our maker. Um, or our master. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, there are a couple of things that, that um, jump at me. You take a passage like Psalm 63, 8, where he says, my soul followeth hard after thee. And I have to step back and say, is that my mentality about God? Or do I go to church on Sunday, listen to the sermon, put my <laughs> notes away when I go home, maybe crack my Bible on Wednesday morning because I got a break before I go to work, Maybe Friday afternoon when things are a little slow, I look up a verse, but that's not pursuit. That's not following very hard. No, that's not following very hard. I mean, you know, there's, 
we show more interest or even for dinner than than mm-hmm. than pursuing God in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. But the other side of it is to begin to look at the scriptures and how God is described and who he is. The majesty, the glory, uh, the sovereignty, all his characteristics, you'd have to say, what kind of a statement does that make about God Hmm. by my attitude toward him? Hmm. What does that reveal about my interest in him, that it's passive? Hmm. And and my sense is is that... um, especially as I've spent a lot of time in the last few years in the, in the prophets in the Old Testament, my sense is that God's offended by that. There are many times when the people went passive or strayed away from God. God's question basically was, don't you remember who I am? Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, he questioned them according to his character. Why, why would you not pursue me? I, I fed you, I clothed you, I, I protected you, I led you. Mm. And you've chased idols. Mm-hmm. And, and what he's saying is that given who I am, why have you treated me this way? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of grips me that why pursue my master or my maker? What other response should I have? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it drives, it tends to drive us. Uh, mm-hmm. The second area of maturity. Um, I talk about that we should per- pursue our maturity in Christ. And I would go back to some passages like uh, 2 Timothy 2.22 or... 1 Timothy 6, uh, 12, I think it is. And both of those passages talk about us, and it uses the word pursue, that we should flee the things that are not of God and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Mm. And he lists characteristics of Christian maturity. Mm. But for him to, to list things and to use the word pursue, meaning if you don't go after him, you're not going to f- find that growth in your life. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a kind of thing of, do I really want to be a different man in five months, in eight months, in two years than I am today? Hmm. Um, now, certainly salvation came strictly of God's work. Mm-hmm. But it's the work for you and me to grow in maturity. What, what are uh, some signs that we're growing in our maturity? Well, I think there'd be a couple. Uh, one is, is that I, I, would, I would find a greater and greater enjoyment of my relationship with God. Hmm. That, that God seems near and more important to me. Uh, his presence is a more um, delightful part of my day. Hmm. There, there's a sense that there's a, um, a security and a depth growing in this relationship, hmm. that, that God is more real to me. Mm-hmm. I think the other, the other side would be the change in my character, mm-hmm. that I'm more Christ-like. Um, as I begin to understand what does it mean to love like Jesus loves, and he puts me in circumstances where I've, I have that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have an opportunity to have an impact on other people's lives? Hmm. Uh, does God give me some opportunities for ministry? Um, but I think the big ones is uh, the fruit of the Spirit, yeah. Christ-likeness. Yeah, is it oozing with the, is the love, the joy, the peace? Is it present and growing, overflowing in my life? Yeah, and a lot of that growth, when you go to a passage like in... Um, in First Peter, he, he talks about, um, in chapter 1, he talks about all these traits that ought to be in our lives. And at the end, he says, we ought to practice them. And if you do, you'll be fruitful in your life. Mm. And so it's the kind of thing where it's not like God would like me to be a more loving person. Let's just put a, a bigger fuse into his life, like you pop a fuse in the fuse box. Mm-hmm. But instead, he takes me into situations where I normally wouldn't love that person. Hmm. And God says, you have a choice. Hmm. Are you going to love him like I do? Or are you just going to ignore him or put up with him? 
Um, what does it look like to love that person who is obnoxious or mm-hmm. contentious? Unconditional love that yeah. God gives us. Well, yeah. Okay, I'm motivated. Okay, third one, <laughs> masculinity. Which is um, not one of the M's. Masculinity, third M. Uh, should I pursue my masculinity? Normally you don't think in those terms. <laughs> but if you go to a passage like 1 Corinthians 16, 16, 13, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Those are actually active, um, demanding words that were military terms, and they're a call to action. <laughs> Those are not passive words no. to be on the alert. Am, 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 do, do I live like a sentry on the wall? Mm. Am I like a guard at the door to my family? Do I know what my kids are going through at school? Mm. I can remember my wife coming home one day from one of these things where parents could come and sit in your kid's class in high school. Mm-hmm. And my wife came home and my kids went to a pretty good school, we thought. And my wife came home and she said, I am shocked at what my kids have to live around all wow. day long. Wow. The language they hear, the conversations they're in on hmm. that they can't escape. And, and it was like, she just said, I had no idea they were confronted with this stuff every day. Wow. And it was that kind of thing. Do I just kind of deal with problems that come up or am I really engaged in my kids' lives Do that something. way? So in that example, what what's the lesson there for us? Like, did you take a certain action in that well example. yeah it was kind of a wake-up call yeah. and it was it it led to uh i wish i'd done more of it but it led to more conversations with my kids to say mm. what did you deal with today mm. and and be uh become a student of their emotions and their reactions and hey something's not quite right mm. what's going on with you today mm. come on let's go have dinner together let's let's you me let's get out tomorrow morning early for breakfast mm-hmm. and and just you and me mm. And, and having those times, maybe finding the times where they're really quiet, they're, about, they're going to bed. I can remember times with my kids of, of, of sitting with them as, before they fell asleep. That's when they get talkative. No matter, yeah. I don't care what age they are. <laughs> you know, they're in high school, they're in grade school. Yeah. But becoming more of a student of them. Mm. And so masculinity says, I become a guardian. I become alert to things. I, it says, act like men. And, and the inference there is courage. Mm. And that I... I I not shy away from the problems my kids are struggling with. Hmm. And not that I run their lives, but that I step into their lives and say, I'm, I'm here with you. Yeah. Same with our wives, hmm. um, to be able to listen and hear and not try to fix everything. Yeah. So masculinity has to do with movement to be step into situations, to be courageous, to be strong, not hard, mm-hmm. but strong. Hmm. And uh, finding those places and times where we can um, be more engaged in their lives. So I got a question for you. We just finished a, uh, a book study here um, by uh, Brene, Brene Brown on um, Daring Greatly, and she talks a lot about vulnerability. And, um, you know, being vulnerable is actually the way to deep relationships and finding, like, the most strength and the most courage. You use the word courage a lot. You know, it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. Um, but I think sometimes vulnerability could be seen or thought of as maybe not being very masculine uh, in the sense that, Oh, you're kind of, you know, being exposed here. You're kind of putting your softer side out there, your feelings, you know, getting in touch with, with that. How would you balance masculinity, masculinity in the, in this context of vulnerability? Well, I would, I would say that it does take courage to be transparent and, and vulnerable, but I would say the issue becomes, um, uh, I I wouldn't see vulnerability as a negative. I I think there are things that, um, 
especially in terms of ministry, we have a great encouragement to others when I can basically say, yeah, I've been down that road before. Mm. And uh, this is how God dealt with me. And this is what I had to go through. Not have all the answers, but simply say, but you know what? I'm, I'm willing to let you see that part of my life to see I'm a fellow struggler. I, learn from I, it. We don't have all the answers, but mm. we're willing to learn and grow mm. together. Mm. Um, and I think then you, you approach it with you're not, you're not the victim. I think it becomes weak when you're the victim. Mm. Uh, that doesn't have much space there. I, I'd say, no, what am I going to do with that? Got and it. I think there's where I think there are times where that vulnerability is healthy for us that other men come along and say, "Hey, I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't scare me about you. Mm. I like that. I'll, I'll I'll still treat you the same. It's mm, good. All right, so we got maker maturity masculinity number four. Our mate. That's again. It doesn't use the word pursue for mate, but if you go to something like Ephesians five verses twenty one and following, he uses words like that we should nourish sanctify and cherish our wives Mm. those are all active words to nourish meaning to to meet her needs i need to be a student of my wife i need to know my wife's thoughts feelings struggles that we're in a sense that we're together on these things and that requires initiative to pay attention to put my needs aside to say what is it my wife needs Mm. Uh, we're not good as that as men we're we're busy at work where we're conquering things Mm -hmm. and and but my wife needs that. To be cherished, uh, it, it means to, in a sense, it's, it's a picture of a man kind of putzing around in the garden of getting the weeds out and, and, and caring for the plants so that they'd mm-hmm. be healthy, mm-hmm. uh, to value them deeply. Many men are, are very intimidated by their wives because in most cases, our wives are wired far more technically than we are, mm-hmm. not in terms of technology, but in terms of Intricacies. They are so percept, so much more perceptive than men. Oh, yeah. um, uh, um, talk about multitasking. They're way ahead of us. Yeah. yeah. And and men can be intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. And instead, inviting them into that and helping them flourish in that of who they are. Hmm. So, uh, again, it calls for an engagement with our spouse. Hmm. It's too easy to fall into the mode, especially you're busy. You got kids. You got to take care of the house, the job, and we kind of just uh, exist together. You're right. And solve the kids' problems. Yeah, and don't spend that good time. You're kind of just existing alongside. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, Nancy and I have been married ten years, and uh, you know, I think it's it's a ever changing topic what that means. You know, what to cherish her, you know, her goals or her dreams, and what's important to her and to love her. It's it's different when you know we were 27 and we are now with 37, with you know three boys. Um, so I think, and it does take work, and I'm certainly not a you know pro at it. But I realized that it's, you know, what was important is not as important now. And it's an ever-changing thing that you need to work at, need to talk about, need to, you know, dig in a little bit, spend time with. And it's, it doesn't just happen by accident. You know, it takes intention. Yeah, I, I can look back at times in my ministry where um, my, my difficulty was that I'm all in on what I work on. And we're talking 24 hours. Mm. And so uh, what I did not do well was... Uh, shut the door when I got home mm. and and so it would I'd be working late or kids be in bed and I'd go back to the office and um, too consumed with things uh, I remember reading a, um, a story of a very renowned seminary professor people all over the world sought him as a speaker mm. and he'd, he'd talk about heading home from the seminary every day and he said I, there was a mile marker on the road that he said I realized when I hit that mile marker I close my briefcase. Mm. 
And he said, it was turned off until the next day I went back to work. Wow, that was his transition. That was his transition. He had a marker that said, okay, it's time. Mm. These other things can wait. Turn off the phone, shut down the emails. Take off his work hat. Take it off, shut the briefcase. Mm. We're done now. Now, Mm. I'm sure there were exceptions where they had to do things. That's not the issue. But the pattern was he would close the door. And that's hard to do for some men. Mm. Um, And... Um, that's what keeps us probably engaging in the areas we need to. So mm. I, th- I think that's a, that's a learning thing with our mate. Yeah. The last one is mission. Uh, Philippians 3, 12, uh, Paul talks about that he presses on to lay hold of what Christ laid hold of him for. And I, I like that passage because he's basically saying, whatever God's purpose was in saving me, I want to fulfill that. Mm. I want all I can get a hold of that. And the word press on is the same word as pursue. Hmm. It's just interpreted pursue in, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And so you've got a situation where if God has brought me into relationship with him, it's, it's for more than to someday go to heaven. Hmm. And so in his providence, he has worked relationships, experiences, opportunities, all these events in my life for a purpose. And that's to wire me and to prepare me to have a ministry in another realm that he has for me. Hmm. And, and, um, and I don't want to lose that. I don't want to waste that. I want to discover what that is. Mm. And I think that unfolds over our lives. It unfolds as we discover our spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. But I need to pursue that. Mm-hmm. And so I recently have spent about a year with a young guy that uh, is a, runs an organization. And one of the areas he wanted to look at was spiritual gifts. And, and I said, hey, you need to chase that. Mm. How did God wire you? What has he gifted you in? Sure. And he was so excited as he began to unfold some of that. He goes, wow, God has a real purpose for me because of the gifts he gave me. Mm. So it's things like that that I don't want to treat passively. Yeah. I don't want to miss those things. Yeah, we're all uniquely gifted. How did, um, any tips on how to pursue those spiritual gifts? Is there a... There, there are some real good, um, well, they vary. I shouldn't say they're all real good. There, there's some, there are some good spiritual gifts tests that you can take. Mm. And there'll be 170 to 200 questions, and they basically look for ministry and spiritual situations. How would you respond to them? Okay. And it begins to uncover what your real um, kind of heart for those things are. Uh, for instance, if you have a, a gift of teaching, a lot of those questions would begin to reveal that you have a real concern for being correct when you understand the scriptures. Mm, okay. Things like that would come out. Or if you have the gift of hospitality, you mm-hmm. thrive at being at the church to set up things, to greet people. Sure, That's yeah. kind of your bent. Mm. And so you can identify maybe what God has given you that you could develop further. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you wouldn't develop and grow in those. Mm. I'd find the same thing with, uh, uh, I've seen this in my son. I think he has a gift of teaching and he didn't want to be in front of groups. But the more he finished college and then got his doctorate, the more he began to spend time with students, he was just drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And, and he just loves to be with medical students. Hmm. And so, you know, I'm looking at him and say, you know, this guy has, and he's doing more at the church. He's, he loves to teach. Mm-hmm. He has a, a giftedness in that, and he's now beginning to develop it. And similar, you mentioned earlier, uh, you had a little time at the Providence where you realized that you're more of a kingdom builder versus uh, administration. Did that come from a similar type? Same thing. Okay. Yep. I can do administration, but I, I don't enjoy it. Yeah. So you don't wake up. I don't thrive there. I don't, I don't lay awake at night working on administrative things. Uh, neither do I. So I'm more builder. Well, that is awesome. So that walks us through the maker, the maturity, masculinity, mate, and mission. Um, man, some great, 
scripture reference references there and some great stories. So thank you for that. Um, as we kind of wrap down some of the, some of the questions that we ask everybody, um, it'd be fun to kind of get your take on these, but for you, um, maybe looking back on, you've had all these great experiences with your family and pro sports and, and whatnot, being married successfully for all these years, but what are some of the moments or experiences that, um, stand out to you as the ones you're most proud of? Well, I would say that, uh, one of them is, uh, that when I saw that question, it just uh, really hit me, um, when we were at Vanderbilt, it was a difficult campus, bright, bright students, um, but they threw an Aggie like me on this Harvard of the South. <laughs> and, um, and somewhere along there, um, in our first year or two, we took a ministry of about 100 students down to seven. That was my effective leadership. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, it was dying, and we nearly left the ministry. And uh, some men in our ministry uh, at our conference that summer said, you know, you need to begin to work on discipleship. Mm build in a few leaders and begin to mentor men, mm. the young men on campus. And so um, we did that. Um, we did that with a lot of our leaders. But one of the things that came out of it was I began to work with some of the athletes uh, at Vanderbilt. Mm. And those five guys that I worked with, uh, some of them there with me for about four years, some a little less, we'd made every Tuesday night for Bible study. And I began to, those guys basically taught me how to disciple men. They were my guinea pigs. Mm. And... Um, uh, we have those four of those five men we've tracked together for almost 40 years now. Oh my gosh. And those guys have started churches. They've led people to Christ. They have kids in the ministry. It's, it's one of those things you step back and say, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, <laughs> but it was fun to watch what God did. Yeah. And, and to see that discipleship has an impact on people's lives and you multiply the number of people who are engaged in ministry, hmm. not just the people who are coming to Christ. Hmm. And that became exciting. And yeah. so I look back at that, and that, that's one of the things I'll probably treasure for life. Yeah, it's almost like what a blessing that it came down in size, probably gave you the ability to go deep with those, yeah. those, those yeah. five. The other thing that went along with it that started way back then is that both my wife and I were on staff, full-time staff with Crusade. Hmm. So we did a, we've had a lifetime of ministry together. Wow. And that's, that's been rare. Not, not many people get that. Yeah. And uh, you look back and the amount of things you get to share that mm. you've done together has mm. been really rich. That's awesome. Have you guys ever done any uh, like couples things together at all? Or? Some. We do some with uh, some of the sports teams we worked with, some small yeah. groups at times. Hmm. Yeah. Seems like it would be always good to get uh, the other side. <laughs> yeah. Female perspective. Mrs. Petersburg. <laughs> yep, that's right. All right, so um, maybe over time, I'm sure you've given away or recommended a lot of books. What are, um, you say, your top two, three you know, book recommendations other than Pursuers, which is coming out? So. Yeah, well, I would say um, I would answer that by thinking about, okay, if I tossed my whole library out and was sent uh, to mm. another country with two books, obviously I'd take my Bible, but the first book I'd take with me after that would be uh, probably not read a lot, but it's a book by um, Lewis Berry Schaefer, uh, Systematic Theology. And it's volume six on pneumatology, <laughs> the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay. I, I, it is so clear. It is so practical. Wow. It's, it's a theology book written by a pastor, hmm. a pastor's heart. And the role of the Holy Spirit in ministry, the empowerment of God's Spirit hmm. uh, to, to do ministry, I, I would be my first pick. Wow. Probably the other book that's had the greatest long-term effect in my life has been a book by Jerry Bridges called Trusting God. Hmm. Uh, anything that Jerry Bridges wrote was excellent. Hmm. Uh, he has one called Pursuit of Holiness. And so um, 
I almost would pick authors that uh, have affected me most. And that would be one, Jerry Bridges. Mm. And, and the, other, uh, the, la- the other one would be a, books by a guy named Steve Farrar, mm. F-A-R-R-A-R. I yeah. think I pronounced his name right. Mm-hmm. But really his good. books on raising boys and mm-hmm. um, uh, finishing well, issues of uh, courage. He's just an excellent, excellent communicator. Yeah, I, I just finished a book, uh, Anchorman, not that long ago, but yeah. for our, it was so good. I actually got it when I was like 18. I, like, <laughs> I don't think I should read this now. <laughs> Put it on the bookshelf, and then 18 years later. <laughs> finally, finally dug it I out. I was like, well, I have three boys, so I should probably read this now. That's awesome. Um, what about a uh, life verse? Is there is there one or more that you know, you kind of know that you've come back to over time or one that just really just hits you? You know, I find that uh, every few years I've got a new one. It, it kind of, each phase of my life yeah. probably, I've, there's been another one that stood out. Probably, so in the last few years, the verse probably that uh, has been more of a, a, a phase verse than a life verse have, has been Romans 5, 1 and 2. Mm. Um, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the big part. Through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And I think over my life, I looked at grace as episodes of God's goodness toward me. Hmm. But this, this verse says, I've been entered because I, because I came to Christ, we are introduced to grace and now we stand in it. Hmm. We stand in the midst of grace. Hmm. So there's, there's this sense from this verse that it's, it's what envelops us as believers, that God, the word that describes how God looks at us is grace. Hmm. And it's a it's a it's an encouraging, hopeful verse that kind of says, "Okay, go ahead and step out. It doesn't matter where the chips will fall. Mm -hmm. You're 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 standing in grace. Move, go, move on it." Gotcha. Yeah, love that. Well, Tom, I got to thank you for uh, your time here today. But you know, more than that, just um, with coming to speak to the guys, and before that, you had us speak at. one of the influencers forum or as part of that panel. And it it was encouraging to us to, to know that we were on to something that was meaningful and, you know, we needed that encouragement to keep going and, and, you know, put energy and put our passion into it. So thank you for creating that, that ecosystem of um, others to encourage one another on whatever their unique calling was in different ministries. I know hearing the other guys and what other people are up to around uh, the Northeast Ohio was very encouraging and uh, gave us some nuggets to help us with what we're doing with, uh, the ISI life. So thank you for everything you've, been, you've done and um, are currently doing, and I look forward to the next step. Well, it's been fun uh, getting to do some of that together. Yeah. It's been great. Absolutely. I look forward to more of this. So would you mind closing us in a word of prayer? Sure. Father, I thank you for what you've done um, through Nick and the other men who've uh, organized uh, ISI life retreats. Thank you for their boldness with men, how they've stepped into their lives, how they're teaching those men to face those issues and step into other men's lives. So Father, in the midst of that, I pray that you would um, give them insight as they continue to unfold what you desire them to do with the ministry. I pray that you would draw more men to that, um, that retreat, that you would affect their lives, that they might be stronger leaders, stronger husbands, stronger men, stronger friends. Father, I do just uh, thank you that uh, you've given us the privilege to not only walk with you, but to serve you and to serve other people in, in, uh, in ways that bring you glory. So, Lord, we commit it to you and thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.